If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Hi, everybody. It's Alexa, host of The Founders Project. We've been getting ready for season four, where we'll bring you the conversations with the absolute best founders across the country. If you want to nominate a guest, you can reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at Alexa Von Tobel. In the meantime, check out this flashback episode of The Founders Project. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with the top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and I'm really excited about our guest this week. Uh, this week, meet Jack Conti, the co-founder and CEO of Patreon, a membership platform that makes it easy for creators to earn salaries directly from their biggest fans. In addition to founding Patreon, Jack is a musician and filmmaker who spent his days in a converted dog kennel turned recording studio in Sonoma County, making YouTube videos that have amassed over 120 million views. Now, he is full-time CEO mode at Patreon, which he launched in 2013. And since its launch, Patreon has helped pay out more than $1 billion to the creators on its platform. Let's welcome Jack. Hi, Jack. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you on, and I think I'm just such a junkie. I'm so proud of what you built over at Patreon, and I just want to start for everybody, uh, all of the tens of thousands of founders and entrepreneurs who are listening. Um, in your own words, what is Patreon, and what was your story for getting it up and running? Sure. So um, maybe I'll start with the story, because I think it explains very clearly what Patreon is. <laughs> um, so I've been a YouTuber for a decade and a half. And about, what was it, now seven years ago, seven and change years ago, I started working on a music video. My wife signed a record deal, went off on tour by herself to, to uh, go tour the world and, and play music for, for her solo career, and left me at home alone by myself. I started working on this music video. It ended up costing me 10 grand. Um, I drained my savings account to make it possible. I also maxed out two credit cards along the way. I was working 19-hour days. I was in this studio. I built a replica Millennium Falcon cockpit behind me to film this thing. There was a 3D-printed hexapod robot and an animatronic head. It was the most intense music video I'd ever made in my life. Um, I killed myself to make it possible. Again, cost me over 10 grand. I got to the end of this process. I realized, oh my God, I'm going to upload this video onto the internet, onto YouTube. It's going to get a million views because that's what my videos were, were getting at the time. And I'm going to get paid 160 bucks of ad revenue for that. And I'd also made a behind the scenes video. I knew my fans were gonna be leaving comments and getting excited and, and there would be you know, likes and passion and energy and, and discussion. And I knew this whole project that cost me three months of my life and, and over $10,000 was literally gonna generate less than $200 of revenue for me. And I thought, forget it, I can't, I can't do that. Like I'm not, it's not even that I'm a starving artist. I'm, I'm having massive impact with millions of people with my videos. So. This, it's not my fault. There's this mechanism online converting attention into dollars and it's failed creators. It's not the best system to allow creators to get paid for the impact. There's a discrepancy between what creative people are worth and the paycheck that they get at, that they get at the end of the month. And Patreon is 
is out to solve that discrepancy. And, and what happened was I called up my freshman year roommate. I pitched him this idea that I had drawn out on 14 pieces of printer paper one Sunday afternoon at my kitchen table. I sketched out the whole thing. The idea was, hey, if you like what Jack is doing, let's take that membership technology, let's democratize it and make it available for all creators. So any creator can run their own membership platform. And that was, that was what we did. And within about two weeks of launching, my co-founder, he built the whole thing by himself in about two and a half months. And when we launched, you know, very quickly, I was making literally six figures as a creative person instead of $200 a month. And then you can imagine what happened next. Just creators saw that and started launching left and right on the platform. And yeah, now seven years in, we've sent over a billion dollars to creative people around the world. We've got over 5 million patrons who have active subscription pledges to the creators that they love. And we've got, you know, over 150,000 creators on the platform that are making money. And yeah, Patreon's like kind of become a, from, you know, something that was a dream to something that's actually like a great impact on a lot of creative people's lives. I mean, holy smokes. First of all, I don't know what your parents did to make you not only so like vivacious and musically talented and an artist, but then also like a fabulous entrepreneur. I want you to walk through your earliest days of being uh, an entrepreneur. It's so different than what you were doing prior. And obviously there's some overlaps, but what do you think the differences are? And what did you have to get quickly good at when you put on your, your entrepreneurship hat and decided to take that leap? Yeah, you know, um, I guess it's funny to hear you say that I'm a fabulous entrepreneur. Just like in full transparency, it sure doesn't feel that way from the inside. I don't know uh, if other people feel like they're great at being an entrepreneur. I just feel like I'm falling on my face all the time. If I'm being completely honest, like scaling a company and you know, when you when you build a company from the inside and, and when there's software involved and so there's automation and so the rate of, of scale, the blitz scaling has to kind of keep up customer demand at a really wild pace. Oh my gosh, everything that can go wrong goes wrong. It just, it feels insane. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes, a lot of, you know, picking myself back up and just, and, you know, continuing to, to kind of trudge on. I think that's probably, you know, the main thing is just the, the, just not quitting. Honestly, it's just like, I'm going to drag myself out of the mud and just Put on a put on a smile and love the pain and just march forward. Number two is just the pace of learning is unlike anything I've had to do ever in any position I've ever been in. The pace of learning is addicting. <laughs> um, it's it can actually I think it's reduced my attention span a little bit because it's just I'm I'm having to learn so much information so quickly. I'm having to keep up with the scale of the business, and so just having that appetite and that enjoyment for learning new things and trying new things has been a, a big piece of it as well. So I want to go back to those early days because I, I, I hear you. You have a music video, $10,000. You're like, I'm not going to go launch this on YouTube and make nothing from it. I'm going to go build a company. Give us the story the first 24 months in. So I was like, you know, just so deep in this music video, about to lose so much money. And I just was thinking, I'm draining my savings. And, and, and there's no future returns here for me on ad revenue. And the other thing I was thinking was, you know, Pomplamoose had done a book drive. Pomplamoose is my band with my wife. We had done a book drive for the Richmond School District a couple of years before. Uh, um, I live in Berkeley. And, uh, and so the Richmond School District is just, just, you know, right there on the coast. And, um, and we'd done a book drive. We basically put up a YouTube video. We said, hey, if you donate a book to the Richmond School District, we'll give you our album for free. That was the deal. Donate a book, we'll give you our album. And 
the school district had to rent a shipping container to keep up with the packages. It was 11,000 books that got sent to the school from Pompaloose fans. That's and amazing. It, it, like, it feels good from like, a, I feel like I'm helping the world and doing something good and like, you know, that, and that feels good. I also feel a little bit like a badass. Like I'm like, damn, I can like get people to open their wallets and like, you know, there's economic power behind me as a creator. And honestly, that moment was such a formative moment for me to realize like creative people are incredibly valuable. And all of that value is nascent. All of that value is not being captured by the systems that have been scaled and deployed globally that essentially convert content into dollars. None of those systems actually take advantage of a creator's real value and impact that they offer the world. And so the thinking was, gosh, every time my fans get involved, they seem to recognize my value. Advertisers, it just doesn't work out. But when the fans are involved, the fans recognize the value. So the idea was, what if we could give it away to fans to essentially support creators on a monthly basis? And, and so I sat down at my, at my kitchen table I took out 14 pieces of, of printer paper. I took out a pen and I started drawing a stupid fucking website. I have no idea how to make websites. I have no sense of design. I'm not an engineer. You know, it, it brought some clarity to my thinking around what it is that I was trying to solve and, and what I wanted. And then I called a dozen people from my days as a musician and building the music business because Pomplamoose was building a music business. And so we were involved in the world of technology. We lived in the Bay Area. You know, we went to tech conferences because we wanted to stay on top of like, what's the new tech coming out? Is there, you know, a live streaming platform that's ticketed and paid? And, you know, we're trying to make it in, 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 uh, as an independent band. So we were very on top of tech. And so I called up some of those people that I'd met over the years. And the person who ended up just dropping everything and going, you know, head on into this happened to be my, my, uh, freshman year college roommate. He said, Jack, this is going to work. We have to do this. I sent him an email. I mean, I just was like, hey, let's be partners in this together. It was a simple kind of English language agreement. The next step was, and I think there's an important lesson here, uh, drawing out a list of uh, 40 creators. I made an Excel spreadsheet of 40 creators that I thought would want to use this. And it was creators that I knew and followed and loved. And so I put them in a spreadsheet. I found their contact information. I reached out to 40 creators and I, you know, for over a process of two months, I, I got on the phone with all these folks or sent emails to all these folks. And all of them said no. 100% of them said, nope, I don't want that. But thanks. <laughs> and um, and I, I think I was a little disappointed, but not that disappointed because I knew that at least for me, my fans were going to love this and we're going to step up to it. So we pushed forward anyway. And then we launched. And when we, when we released the, the YouTube video, I put a vlog at the end of the YouTube video where I said, hey, everybody, we're trying this new thing called Patreon. It's this idea that we had to see if we could help creators make more money and, and get paid. And if you want to come on this journey with us, go become a patron of, of me. I'm the first creator on Patreon. And a bunch of them did. And, and that was it. Was that first time somebody paid to be part of following you like a magical moment? It was, I have a picture of it. I, I was sitting on the floor of my dad's house because my internet wasn't fast enough to upload videos. So I had to go to my dad's house to, to upload the video and launch the company. And I was sitting on the floor of my dad's house with my laptop on my lap and the video uploaded. And we, my co-founder had built an email notification system. And so I logged into Gmail and it was just endless bound emails. And it was just so many, so many people becoming patrons 
and I was sitting on the floor watching my Gmail tick away. And so, yeah, it was very, it was really beautiful. It was a really special moment. I love just your passion behind creators are valuable and they should, they should be able to be very, very valuable. And how do we help them stay creators? How did you think about the rules of monetization? Did you weigh it over days? Was it obvious to you? And for everybody who hasn't used Patreon, walk through how it works. Oh, none of this was strategic, right? This was all just like all the stuff that a company kind of learns to build and, and how to think about product and how to think about markets. I didn't even have that vocabulary. I didn't know what a market sizing was, right? Um, so, so, you know, in terms of the monetization rules, we want to send creators a boatload of money. We want, to, we want them to be able to keep most of the earnings. So we're going to charge a really low fee. Creators are entrepreneurs. They care about fair prices. So let's keep, let's keep the pricing really low at 5%. That was the first thing. The second thing was we wanted to make sure that we could aggregate pledges early on. And so we set the first as the day where we would charge credit cards. And that way, like if a, if a patron had a pledge to this creator and that creator and that creator, instead of being charged a dollar three times, they would be charged $3 once and they would save 25 cents for each of the charges. And that allowed creators to keep even more of the money. We knew we wanted it to be subscription because the idea was, hey, if you become a patron, it's not like Kickstarter or not like Amazon or not like e-commerce. You're not paying for a thing. You're paying for a person. You're paying for a membership. You're paying for future expected value. And so the idea was we wanted it only to be subscription pledges. And so that's where we started. We started with subscription pledges charged every month on the first. I want to just ask, because you have such a unique way of thinking about the fact that you know what it takes to build an engaged community of fans. I want you to just give us your kind of 101, like what are the two or three most valuable things that you have learned from keeping your fans engaged? Yeah. So no, number one is what you just said. Like, if you make great stuff as a creator, I mean, honestly, even as companies, <laughs> but, but as a creator, if you make great stuff, that's the number one thing to keep the fans engaged. On top of that, I would say, love your fans, love them. You know, if you, if you want to print a piece of merch, like how, how can your fans benefit from more than just buying the merch? Can you run a contest where they get to submit merch designs? Can they vote on those merch designs? Can you get their feedback and their input? Can you shower them with love and appreciation? Can you engage them every step of the way? Um, and I think it really comes down to just great people, right? It, it comes down to having an open heart that's, uh, sorry if this is cheesy, but having an open heart that's full of love. And if you have that for your fans, like if you really love your fans, they're going to love you back because they're going to feel that love and they're going to feel that appreciation. And so it might sound like a trite or simple thing, but I, I think it comes down to that. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. 
So you have been now in a position where Patreon's become a massive company. We're going to talk more about that in a second. I want to get a sense of how do you predict which creators will be breakout stars or the highest earners? Or put differently, what type of creativity do fans value the most? Yes. You know what's so interesting about this is I think the natural tendency and the, and the question that we get from a lot of people, investors, and, and just anybody who's interested in the business is like, hey, which vertical performs the best? Are, like, is it video? Is it podcasts? Is it web comics? It turns out vertical is not a leading indicator of creator performance on the site. It has nothing to do with the type of content. We actually have a chart showing the top earning creator on Patreon every year since its founding. And every year is a different vertical. Not every year, but pretty close to every year is a different vertical of creator. A better leading indicator of a creator's success is what I actually just said, is how much the creator loves their fans and how much they love them back. If you're going to quantify that, I think the best way to quantify that would be to essentially think of it the way that companies think of an engaged user base. It's like DAOs and mouse. Like if as a creator, you have a lot of daily active fans, if they have a chance to engage with you very often, if they're submitting designs for your t-shirt contest, if they're emailing you, if you're responding to DMs, if you're retweeting at mentions and then tagging fans, if you're getting a lot of Instagram comments, if you have that hyper engaged fan base, that's actually a much stronger leading indicator you're going to do better on the platform. So ultimately, it's up to the it's up to the creator to have that hyper-engaged fan base and to be able to kind of send traffic around the web. As you look forward, having the reins of Patreon below you, and you're in a position where you have a clear, clear vision of what the next decade's going to look like, what is your biggest prediction of how you think about the future of work over the next decade from your unique vantage point? So first of all, the the myth of the starving artist is becoming just that, a myth. The idea that, that you have to get lucky to become a creative person, or you have to be discovered, or that it's hard, forget it. Those days are over. It's normal to be a creative person now. Not only like making a living, but you've rented an office space, and you have a 20-person team, and you're scaling a small business media company. That's normal. Like That's, that's not the outlier. That's normal now. And so if you think about that happening at scale, that whole emerging group of essentially what's becoming small business media companies, nobody is solving for them right now. Nobody is looking at the world through their eyes and saying, oh my gosh, like, what's it like to have access to capital as a peer? Do you have access to capital? Where do you get it from? How does the bank think about your income statements? Do they want to give you a loan? What's healthcare like? What, how do you save for retirement? You know, I think for folks who have a traditional employer, we think of those things as just part of our life. You know, the employer is sort of the, the glue that ties the infrastructure of society to individuals. Um, that does not exist in the, in the creator economy or in what some people call the, the passion economy. Creators are out there on their own. Banks don't know what to do with them. They can't get a loan. When I tried to get a loan for my house in 2010, I was in escrow for 90 days. <laughs> the bank wouldn't give me a loan. They asked me for my pay stubs. I literally said, to the, to the mortgage officer, I was like, what are pay stubs? I don't know what you're talking about. What's a pay stub? And then I sent them my iTunes reports <laughs> because I was like, oh, you mean the thing that shows that I have money that comes in? Um, and they were like, Jack, what are we going to do with these iTunes reports? Like, we don't, what does this mean? Anyway, my, my point is all of the infrastructure that ties individuals to society and the, the lending mechanisms and the the financial mechanisms of society, all that needs to be rebuilt from the ground up for creative people. Um, that's one thing. 
The next thing is creators are amassing incredible leverage and power. Today, they're so powerful that people literally call them influencers, but, but they're going to be even more powerful than that. Another prediction, I think right now, you know, when Patreon started, the term creator wasn't even a thing. You know, people use the term content creator. And even that, people didn't know what content creators were. You know, I spent the first 30 minutes of, of most of my VC pitches explaining what a creator was. I think one thing that will make the last decade very different than the next decade is there will be a number of publicly traded companies whose primary addressable market is creators. What do you think has been the coolest moment of Patreon to date? What's the thing you're most proud of that you've seen unfold? I'll give you two things. One is sending people checks and, and watching them, you know, get houses and build companies and grow their dreams. That, you know, that alone, I think, is the is the kind of that's the thing. Like that's that's it. <laughs> if, if it were just that, it that's it's, that's all I would need. The kind of moment besides just the the general feeling of of getting creative people paid, which is a wonderful feeling. Maybe a, a thing that I'm proud of and excited about is it can feel as a creator using these distribution platforms, you can feel, or I certainly felt, deprioritized and a little ignored. Creators had so much feedback for so many years and we weren't, they weren't listening to us. Um, and that was so frustrating. And to see these companies that I was personally giving feedback to for years, maybe, maybe it doesn't make sense for me as the CEO to say this, but for me as a creator, to see these companies copying Patreon and building it into their roadmaps and taking the thing that we built and trying to copy it and like to see this category of membership emerging and to know that that started from Patreon, that is incredibly exciting to me as a creator. It feels like, finally, you're listening. Like, finally, you, you're hearing us. And, you, and you're seeing the opportunity here to watch companies start to really take payments seriously. And not like lip service, not like appeasing creators, like really taking it seriously and try to solve the problem from their hearts. That is so exciting to me as a creative person. Like creators are gonna have so much leverage in a decade. They're gonna be able to choose whatever platform they want, which is such a wonderful thing for creative people. That's awesome, Jack. Um, so now I wanna to transition to you. I, you know, musician turned founder. Um, what do you think was the thing that was the easiest part of that transition and what was the hardest part of that transition? I, I think the, all of the communication skills that I've built as a creator, all of that translates. You know, what, what is a startup except a story that hasn't happened yet? Like that's what a vision is. A vision is a story that you can make true. And I've spent a decade and a half learning how to tell stories. It's not that that's easy. It's just that I had a lot of those skill sets. And so that stuff is like a one-to-one -one translation to, to companies. The stuff that's hard as a musician yeah, again, I, I don't know what it's like for other entrepreneurs. I've talked to some and I know it's I know it's pretty intense. And I love my job and I don't mean to suggest that I don't. But it is so painful. It is so painful. And just the like the baseline of of pain that you have to get used to um as you know it building a company at this scale is really hard. It's just hard. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's surprising. Every month hurts more, <laughs> you know, and, and every month there's some problem that is affecting real humans and, and they, and it's urgent and 
you can't solve it and you have to do something else. Or you have two choices, but both of those choices result in very painful outcomes for one of the two groups or both or whatever it is. And it's just that repeated and accelerating from day one until, until this morning. And just that like endless barrage of just, oh gosh, it, it's painful. And to take that much, you know, over the course of time, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to say about it. It's just, it is very difficult. At least it has been for me. You've had to get good at being able to handle that and take all of that and create the resilience to do so. But what's your secret weapon for handling that now? Is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it something else? What is it? I mean, I sleep eight hours a night. I have to. If I don't, I turn into mashed potatoes and I'm unable to function. But I do work a lot. Um, like I, I work... You know, I, I'm not one of those, there's, this is like a classic Silicon Valley problem. And there's the camp that, you know, is like, hey, do, you know, work smart, don't work hard. And there's a camp that's like, mm, like hard work is, is where it's at. I'm in that second camp. Like, I remember, you know, I remember uh, during one, you know, um, fundraise, I had to um, get back home because I had an investor pitch at 8 a.m. and I missed my flight. So instead of just like canceling the meeting, you know, I really wanted to take this meeting because it was an investor pitch and every pitch is important. And so I slept on the floor of a Texas airport for three hours and then uh, caught a plane, a, you know, a, a layover um, during a layover. And then I caught a second plane back to San Francisco. And then I, you know, grabbed, got in a taxi and like, got to, the, uh, got to the, uh, the, the VC headquarters. And I got there at like 7.56. And then I had an investor pitch at 8am and I was wearing my clothes from New York the day before when I had been like running through the rain to catch my flight. And like, I drew, I, I dried off in the taxi on the way over. Like, you know, but, but that's, that's been, that's been my philosophy. It's just like, I will run faster than everybody else. I will work harder than everybody else because I'm a first time founder. I'm a first time CEO. There's a, there's my opinion. There's people who are way smarter at all this than, than me. There's people who are way more experienced than me. The only way I can kind of do this is if I outwork them, which I'm willing to do. Um, that's been that's been my philosophy. Again, I know that's not right for everybody, but it's it's what I expect of myself, and it's it's how I want to it's how I want to do things for me. What has been your biggest pinch me moment? The coolest moment where you were like, "Holy smokes, that just happened!" Oh gosh, it's so hard because just like the pain gets worse, the pinch me the pinch me moments get bigger and more dreamy, right? So it's like the 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 both. It's both at the same time. Um, yeah, maybe one just unbelievably exciting one. I remember, I remember watching um, this group. This is very early on in the very early days. I remember watching this group called Pentatonics launching on Patreon, and um, they sent over their video to us ahead of time to like get feedback on it. And the startup, we were five people at the time. And so we, we had a TV in our two-bedroom apartment. Everybody would come to the two-bedroom apartment in the morning to work. We had a TV in the two-bedroom apartment. We put thirty on the TV, and we watched it together. And it was perfect. Like, they were explaining the reason for the company's existence. And, and it was coming from them. It was coming from these huge creators. And they were, they, they just nailed it. And my co-founder was so excited. He, he, 
he started shrieking and he got down on the floor and just started doing push-ups because he he had so much energy he couldn't he didn't know what to do and so he just started shrieking and doing push-ups it was so fun um that was a pretty big pinch me moment to see a crater like that launching on the platform that is so awesome if you want to pay it forward to one other company that's not patreon one other founder one other startup something that you've seen that you're excited about what would it be i invested in a company called Kala. So I'm, I'm biased here because I saw this company, I fell in love with them and I invested in it. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but I'm, this company is freaking amazing. What, what happened for music creation where, you know, you had a recording studio, you had to book a recording studio, there's all this equipment. It's, you know, cost $250,000 to make a record, you know, and then there's tape and then you got to buy the tape and then you got to send it to the mixing engine. This is huge supply chain of like what it takes to make a record. And then the whole thing was collapsed into a single digital interface with Ableton Live or Pro Tools. And suddenly you've got a laptop like this and somebody can make a record in the bedroom and, and it's a great sounding record. They're doing that for fashion. Like the entire fashion supply chain being collapsed into a single user interface. And, and you can like put a cool zipper on this jacket. Like I'm not talking about printing t-shirts with your logo on it. I'm talking about making a custom vinyl jacket with a weird pocket design and your own like shoulder pads that you get from this place. And it's all in one interface and you can source from this network of suppliers that they've built. And it makes like, take what's happened to creators distribution. This is the same thing happening to fashion and manufacturing it's going to be epic <laughs> like the like small batch low volume uh like high quality fashion at the individual level is like the future of personality and individual individualized design and like it's going to be awesome what is your favorite interview question when you want to get to know somebody if they're gonna you're gonna add somebody to patreon what's the question you ask people it's your deep one it's your special jack question what matters more than finding the right question is having a curious attitude in interviews. So when, a some, when somebody says something to me, I always ask follow-up questions. And what I found is the best way to really learn about somebody is to try and build a clear picture of them in your mind. And if I don't yet, and I'm wondering where the gap is, I ask them about that. Wait a minute, what about in 2017? What did you do then? Oh, okay, and who did you work with there? Why did you join that company? Who hired you? Oh, this person hired you. Like the, all the follow-up questions help you build that clarity and understanding. So I would just say it's that curious attitude as opposed to one magic question. Jack, you are so one of a kind. If you wanna learn more about Patreon, check out patreon.com immediately. And Jack, thank you so much for this interview. You are truly one of a kind. You were, they broke the mold when they made you. And oh. I mean that so sincerely. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm so honored to have you as a guest and I'm so rooting for what you're doing in the future. Uh, thanks, Alexa, I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this episode, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and follow me at Alexa Von Tobel to get the latest podcast updates.